Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Amen. Doug Stringer, please, you're in your house in the pulpit. Lisa, come up here. We honor this couple. We thank God for their life and their influence in the body of Christ. Thank you all. Please be seated. I'm going to receive the, uh, the applause for our Lord Jesus Christ, the big C, because without him, nothing is possible. You know, it, uh, it chokes me up every time I watch that video because uh, it brings back so many memories. Never, ever did we walk into that hospital thinking it was about us. I think that when they must have seen us, Doug, they probably said, there comes those crazy Christians again. But we were proud, crazy Christians because we showed up every time with our daughter who walked the journey with us with her guitar so that we could worship God in the midst of the trial. And we always showed up with a whole bunch of communion cups because we never allowed them to put any medicine into Doug's body without first giving the thanks to the Lord, taking communion, communion and agreeing that only what God allowed to work would work in us. And then we would also invite the staff to join us in communion. And of all the times, only one nurse denied us to take part. So we saw God move in the midst of it all. But on this beautiful Mother's Day, I too want to say happy Mother's Day to the beautiful ladies in the house. And I just want to honor your pastors. Um, because for me, it has been such a big blessing as the Lord opens doors, and I'll make it quick, to travel the world and, and love people to Christ. It is such an incredible blessing when we run into Dr. Molina and his beautiful bride and see that this is a healthy church. This is a place where consecration means something, where transformation is a must. It's not just about receiving Christ, but walking in the fullness of Christ. So Dr. Molina, Yvette, and, and the rest of the pastoral staff, just thank you for being who you are because you're an inspiration to us. God bless you, and I look forward to fellowship afterwards. When we first got married, um, I was told by some friends from Colombia the first thing I should say to my wife in front of my mother-in-law who lives with us, uh, because she's originally from Monterrey, Mexico, that I should say to my wife, dame un beso mi amor, <laughs> so that my mother-in-law would really like me, so I'm good friends with my mother-in-law. Yes, so. Amen. God bless you, baby. Maybe. <laughs> I remember being in Bogota, Colombia, speaking for about 5,000 pastors. It was televised on television and on national radio, and that was the first time my wife actually ever interpreted for me in, uh, through, I got her a, a parallel Bible, Spanish and English Bible, and uh, so she was very nervous. She had all of her little markers in her, in her Bible, and, and I'm very extemporaneous, so I might start with my notes, but the Holy Spirit begins to move, and I just start going for it. And, and so during that one of those times, I forgot my notes. I just began to share from what I call my spiritual, diar my spiritual uh, diaphragm where I could just speak out of my heart. And, and uh, she, goes, she goes, honey, Douglas, that's not on your notes. I go, it's okay, honey. She was very nervous. I finally said, dame un beso, mi amor. <laughs> she goes, Douglas, there's pastors here. It's on television. We never had a problem since then. She does just fine. And she's going to help interpret for me at the noon service. So praise the Lord. Look at somebody next to you and say, 
Mama was right. Look at somebody on the other side and say, I'm learning that now. I've got to tell you a couple of stories about my mom. My mother was Japanese, and I was just reading again in a scripture in Isaiah chapter 43 um, that happened, became a very deep revelation to me over the years, but God reminded me of that this past December, and I'll tell you more about that, where I literally heard the Lord speak to me three times in about three days. And, uh, and, I, and I just say it this way, it was one of those moments where I could not deny it was the Lord speaking. Uh, we were going to speak in Vancouver, Canada, and instead of flying to, directly to Vancouver, we decided to fly to Seattle because it was cheaper, get a rental car and drive from there to Vancouver, Canada. And uh, on the drive, my daughter, who just turned 15, and she's the one that was in the video, and she actually uh, wrote the song you heard called Simple Smile that she wrote about uh, sometimes it just takes a simple smile to change someone's day or life. And so she was 12 when she wrote that song. And it became very powerful during my time and uh, the journey with cancer. And she wrote, actually has an LP coming out, an EP coming out soon, and has some other songs uh, that are out now that were produced. And um, anyway, so we're driving, and I, and I heard a voice say, Doug. And um, I knew it wasn't my mother, because if my mother got mad or my wife gets mad, she says, Douglas, but it was Doug. And uh, I looked at my wife and I said, what'd you say? She goes, I didn't say anything. I looked in the mirror. I said to my daughter, what'd you say? I didn't say anything. I thought that was weird. And so uh, we get to Canada. We minister all day that Sunday on multiple services at a church there and went to a restaurant in the afternoon, an Indian restaurant. And we'll be praying also for the team here and pastor going to India. And uh, so we were at an Indian restaurant because the pastor, who is one of my spiritual sons, used to be a, a, a deep Hindu, and he actually used to put uh, 70 or 80 different markings on his body and, and pinned lemons on his whole body, trying to find nirvana, so to speak. And he got radically saved back in the early 90s in Teen Challenge in Singapore and uh, began to be discipled and began to follow me and called me a spiritual father ever since then. And uh, so now he's pastoring in Vancouver of a great church there. After the service, go to the Indian restaurant and uh, and... It was really quiet because churches, are, it's about three in the afternoon. We had multiple services. There's nobody really there except for us. And I hear again, Doug. I'm looking around and nobody's looking at me. I'm thinking, am I losing my mind? And I, so we're, we decided that, that night to drive back to Seattle because our flight was on Monday afternoon, but there was going to be a snow blizzard. And so we drove back to Seattle to be by the airport just in case the snow came in really strong, and it did. And the next morning, it was the, the airport was shut down, but we're near the airport. It was beautiful and pristine. The snow had just cleaned everything out, and it's beautiful. And so I'm looking out at my balcony, and Lisa says, I'm going to take Ashley down to the breakfast to the restaurant at the hotel. I said, okay. So I took time to just have my devotion time and open my computer and, and, uh, and open my Bible, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just feeling the presence of God as I'm getting ready to have my devotional time. And I felt this strong presence next to me. But I knew there was nobody in the room because my wife and daughter are already downstairs having breakfast. And it was just, it was quiet. And this time, as loud as can be, I heard my name again, Doug. And in that moment, it was like little Samuel. I said, yes, Lord. And I had, my whole body was just feeling the hairs on my body went up. And I, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, that really is the Lord trying to get my attention. 
So I called some friends from CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network, a vice president there, and some others, and said, why would it be that God only said my name and nothing else? And, and everyone kept taking me back to, to Isaiah chapter 43, and it says, fear not. It says, I have called you by your name. Whenever I receive a word from the Lord, I don't feel like it's for me. I believe it's a larger context. And that's what happened even during the battle of cancer because it was in January of 2015 that we had just finished uh, facilitating a large prayer gathering, a Joel 2, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 prayer gathering for the governor of Louisiana because he said we really need prayer for America. So we did one in Louisiana, and then we'd already planned to do one in South Carolina, North Carolina, and Florida for the governors of those states who said, we need a Joel 2, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 in 2015. So we agreed to be a part of these and to help facilitate them. And, of course, Pastor Molina uh, was a part of that, the one we did here in Florida, up in Orlando, with Governor Scott at the time. And, and again, every governor, when they asked us, we said, there's no egos, no logos. We don't announce people's names. When people come to the platform, they pray, they read a scripture. There's no demonstration of the flesh. It's about glorifying Jesus for the day. We don't want preachers pontificating or politicians giving speeches. It's about Jesus, because America needs Jesus. And, uh, and so it was in the middle of that, after the first one, that we get the news. In March of 2015, I had a lump on my throat. And, and so when we got the call, I went to a grocery store for two hours, two and a half hours by myself, and just talked to God. When I got home, I sat down with my mother-in-law, and I sat down with my wife and daughter, and I said to them, I said, first of all, God did not do this to me. And if God did not do this to me, then it does not belong to me. And if it does not belong to me, we will not let it become about me. It will become a part of a message greater than us. If you look at all the Old Testament and the early church fathers, that whenever something happened in their lives, they turned it as an opportunity to a greater message. So every trial, every difficulty, every circumstance no longer became about that man of God or woman of God. It became a part of a greater message for generations to come. So I said, we're going to turn this into intercession for the church of America. There's a battle for the soul of a generation, the battle for the soul of our, of, of our nation. It's time for us to intercede and call the church to be healed. How can we heal a divided nation if the church is divided? So we need a church united and healed. We need people to rise up into their destinies. Isaiah 37 is a great picture of Hezekiah at a time when his nation, he says, he says, this is a time of distress and trouble because the children are ready to be, come forth or to be born or come into their destiny, but there's no strength to bring them forth or to bring them into their destiny. And I look at that as where we are today for the last couple of decades, that there has been a whole generation of young people ready to come into their destiny, but there's a sense of not having covering, no place of being under covering, so there's no place for them to have strength. And it's interesting today as we celebrate Mother's Day that God intended in the redemptive state that women were to be life givers and that men in the redemptive state who are secure in their identity in Christ, understand that they are to be strength givers. 
So when we as men become the men we're supposed to be and we honor those who've gone before us because there's foundations that have been laid, sacrifices that have been made, the price that has been paid for us to be beneficiaries and to be who we're called to be. But once we as men understand the importance of honor and blessing, then what we do then is give strength for women to be the life givers that they're supposed to be so a generation will come into its destiny. In fact, I like what scripture refers to that God is the El Gabor and we are, the men are to be Gabors, or I call them Gebers, Gabors, which is our, God is a champion. God is a hero that we're to look to. But he says, I expect my men who have received their life from the womb to become strength givers and to become modern day heroes and champions. But for that to happen, we have to understand where we've come from and honor. Now, when you look at Ruth and Orpah in the, in the book of Ruth, and how many remember Orpah? Orpah was the sister-in-law of Ruth. Now, we don't have a book of the Bible called Orpah. Why not? Because she made a choice. There are choices along the way in our lives to either go into greatness or into obscurity. And there was a time when their husbands died, and so uh, Naomi was saying she was going to go back to her land, and so they said, we beseech you, let us go with you. Your God shall be our God. And two different times, Naomi says, look, I can't promise you what it's going to be like in the future. So I give you blessing to go back to the Moabites, to the land of Moab, to your own people where you're comfortable, you're settled, you, you, know the, you have family, you know people. So I can't promise you that anything in the future, but I know this is where I have to go. And they said, no, we want to go with you. And then again, she says it again. This time, Orpah cries, it says, with tears because she loved Naomi, but she made a decision that she did not want to go into a place of destiny because she didn't know what that looked like. She chose rather to go into a place of comfortability and a place that she was accustomed to. Isn't that what Peter did when first Jesus came to him and says, come, let's be a fisher of men? And so they, for three plus years, they're out, he's teaching them, discipling them, preparing them for their destiny. And after they, it says on the road to Emmaus that even Peter was like, we were hoping that. In other words, they became disappointed because of the fodder and the news of the day that somehow Jesus did not become what they expected him to be. They said, we were with him and, and we loved him and he taught us all these things, but look what has just happened. And it took the women of the company of, of the of the of the company who had been to the gravesite and got a word from the angel of the Lord that Jesus wasn't here. And they ran to tell them, says, Look, we're trying to tell you that he's not there. And these angels appeared to us and said that he is risen, he's not dead. And and they were still not sure. They're pondering and they and so when Jesus appeared to them, and now watch this, when Jesus appeared to them in Luke 24, they're talking about Jesus. They're discussing the news of the day. They're reflecting on the past few years of walking with Jesus. And in their moment of confrontation of the truth, they weren't sure exactly what it was. And Jesus appears. They don't even recognize him. And he's in their midst. Oftentimes, we miss the moments of God's presence 
because we're thinking of the grandiose. We're thinking of something out there that, that's drawing our flesh when God is trying to get us to draw from the well that he's already given us that never runs dry because it comes from the water source that never ceases, spring of life. Amen. Sometimes we know where we're going based on how we draw from where we are. You can only flourish where you're planted. Amen? I always tell my daughter, I said, look, when you get up to minister, and people think she's much older than she is because she carries herself that way. Like I said, she just turned 15, writes her own music, and, and uh, I didn't even know she could sing or write. She just picked up a guitar a few years ago and started teaching herself. And uh, thank God for uh, YouTube and things like that to kind of give you the basics. Now, of course, we got a guitar teacher and things for her. But I said, when I, you get up, I want you, because the only way you can draw from a well that's in you is to have been drinking at that well. You can't practice in the game. You've got to be practicing preparing before you go into the game, if it's basketball, whatever else it is. And so we need to draw from that well. And to do that, we have to be prepared and preparing our hearts and our minds to submit ourselves to the things of God, to be under the covering of God, that there is no breach of covering so that we can flourish in those moments of challenge. For me, in my situation, every adversity became an opportunity for God to show himself even greater. And we are all confronted with that choice. Are we going to draw from what God has promised us based on what we know in the spirit realm, or are we going to begin to speculate on what the world has to offer? I can tell you this. The world has nothing to offer. God has everything to offer. So it was a reminder to me in Isaiah 43 that God had not forgotten. He's calling us by name. He's called each of us by name. He's calling the church to come forth into its destiny. And for me in particular, it goes on throughout that scripture. It says that you shall come from the west and meet with your family from the east. I was born in Japan. I know people look at me and say, are you Chinese, Japanese? Are you Hispanic? What are you? And, and uh, I used to always wonder that growing up too because I was born in Japan. My mother was Japanese. My dad was from Texas. My stepdad was also from Texas. They were military. And uh, so growing up, and we, and when I was three years old, we moved to California, and people would always ask me what I was. And, and so finally one day when I was 15, my stepdad was being stationed in the military back to Japan, and I thought, well, at least my relatives will recognize me. And I get there, and even my own relatives go, oh, you look like a gaijin, which means you look like a foreigner. I'm going, I don't fit anywhere. I got to start my own country somewhere. <laughs> and then I discovered a place where they all looked like me, Pastor, Hawaii. <laughs> but as I began to read Isaiah 43 again, it began to remind me of what God was saying. Because fear not, you, no matter what you go through, no matter what the scorching of the land, no matter the desert times you go through, I'm going to be that spring of water for you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to take you through these things. So don't look at your circumstance. Make the right choices along the way because the decisions I've made in my past, I can't change. But the decisions I make every day in Christ Jesus have determined my future. Amen. So so here is Orpah who with tears goes back into obscurity and the only reason we talk about her today is I'm mentioning her as a sidebar to the greatness of Ruth. Because Ruth chooses to stay close. Ruth chooses to go in the unknown, the place of her destiny and she became known in greatness. 
and became the lineage of the Messiah. That's pretty powerful. So no matter what we've gone through, no matter what our journey has been in Christ Jesus, we're promised a destiny of good and not of evil, a destiny to help bring forth life into a generation that's ready to come into its destiny and to raise up sons and daughters who also will honor them in the faith of their mothers and their grandmothers. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 5, I'm sorry. And here's Paul speaking to Timothy. I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Now, Paul is telling Timothy as a spiritual son, uh, I want to re remind you of this genuine, honest, authentic faith that is in you. That what, but how he, here's how he clarifies this. Then he says, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. Now, what he's doing is Paul is honoring the fact that it took the faith, the genuine, honest faith of a grandmother and a mother to help bring forth life into Timothy, who probably did not have a great relationship with his father. And so Paul became a spiritual mentor and father to him. And he calls them oftentimes son, a son in the Lord. He learned so much of the principles of the kingdom of God through this mentoring, pastoring, and, and fathering uh, uh, relationship. But yet Paul says, because of the faithfulness and the authenticity and the genuineness of your grandmother and your mother, you are now walking in this place of faith. Yes, now, I want to just say this, that, that mom was right. When my mom, before she became a widow... Uh, she, she was living in Waco, Texas. My stepfather retired from the military. My biological father also had retired during the, after, after the Vietnam War, went on to Houston. That's how I ended up in Houston, Texas. In 1978, I went to looking for my dad. And, uh, and I want to give a couple points here. Because although my mother and my dad and my stepdad were not serving the Lord, you can still honor the office of authority in your life. You don't have to agree with them, but you can be an example to them by showing respect and honor to them. And I found that even though my mother and my dad and stepdad did not know the Lord till I led them to Christ, praise the Lord, that, uh, that there were things I looked back in retrospect that I gleaned when I showed respect, I began to glean some things, and I found out that they were actually right when it came to basic things in life. And I wish that I could have been better at honoring them when they were alive, because they're all in heaven now. And it's sad that sometimes we look back and regret, and we wish that we had showed more respect when they were here. We should always honor people in our lives while they're here, not when they're gone. Not just to give them a great eulogy at their funeral, but to honor them while they're here and not when they're gone. We don't want to miss opportunities to love our moms and our dads and our sons and our daughters, our husbands and our wives. This is a time where we should always show honor now, not looking back in regret. So when my mother uh, and my stepfather, found, when my stepfather found out he was going to have six months to live from military-related cancer, they called me and my little sister and brother, and we drove to Waco, Texas from Houston, where my stepfather and mother were living then. And he says, I want to make sure you take care of your mother. 
We've been praying for healing. He had become a Christian. He was an atheist and an alcoholic and abusive growing up. But praise the Lord, I was allowed to be used to lead him to Christ. And he got a huge transformation of the Lord. And he, and he said to us kids, he goes, I need you to make sure you're going to take care of your mom. And so my little brother, who's 10 years younger than me, was already married and had children. He says, Mom, you can come stay with us and take care of your grandchildren. My mother was about 4 foot 11 and she used to have long black hair, Asian hair, but as she got older, she started putting it up into what I call a Jafro, a Japanese Afro. <laughs> and, but I, you know, there's something about mom. She's four foot 11, but I was scared of her, you know? <laughs> and so, and so I, when my brother said that, they're going, yeah, go stay with him, take care of the grandkids, you know? And she goes, no, no, I stay with Dougie, my oldest boy. I'm going, that's great. Then my little sister, who's nine years younger than me, had a child at the time and, and, and uh, was married. And she said, she said uh, Mom, no, come stay with us and take care of Annie. And, and again, my mother said, no, I say. I stay with Dougie, my oldest boy. And I'm thinking, that's great. Oldest Asian son responsibility. <laughs> I can see it now. She's going to come live with me. I'm not married. And one day I'm going to meet a righteous fox. And, and I want to be a holy hunk. And... And I'm going to get an, an engagement ring, and I'm going to go to my knees and say to this beautiful potential fiance, baby duck, you make the sky so blue and the water so crystal clear, but this ring doesn't just represent my love, but the package deal, me and my mother. <laughs> so my mother came to live with me for eight years, but when she came in, it was my house, Right? But she took over the master bedroom. She took over the whole house. I got the guest room and, the, and, and a den for my library. But this was my house. At least the thermostat was by my room. Now, living in humid, uh, infested Houston, I like it very cool. So I like it about 72 degrees, 71. My mother liked it like 76, 77. She liked it warmer. But at least she got the rest of the house in my house. But this is at least the thermostat's by my room. And, uh, and I would remember at night, I would hear my mother complaining, because I'd have it down to 71, 72, and I could envision her, because I could see how she could do this. She's walking from the master bedroom with her little Japanese Jafro, Afro, Jafro, and going, Dougie, yo, I go get pneumonia, yo. <laughs> Coming all the way by my room and turning it back up to 76, and I'm laying in my bed and going, this is my house. This is my house. Or I'd come into my house, walk in with my shoes, and my mother would have this six sense, Douglas, take your shoes off. Dougie, take your shoes off. I'm going, Mom, this is my house. I don't care. I change your diaper, you know, when you're baby. <laughs> and even if, if she was in the other room and I was trying to sneak back in to grab something with my shoes, she goes, Dougie, take your shoes off. I go, how does she know these things? <laughs> and then one day, I was asked to go speak in Japan uh, to a gathering of pastors and business leaders from Japan and Korea. And I knew the dates. It was around my birthday in October of that year, uh, 13 years ago. And I remember uh, being on, uh, get ready to go, and I said, you know, to my brother and sister, why don't we collect some money and let's, so mom can go with me because I don't want her to travel by herself. And uh, she hasn't seen her relatives in Japan in a long time. So while I'm going to be there speaking anyway, why don't I get mom to travel with me and she can spend time with her family? 
So we raised a little bit of money, and I actually had enough points to upgrade one of us to first class. And so I went to the counter that day, and I said, would you please upgrade my mother? She goes, oh, Dougie, I don't need to get upgraded. You stay in the... No, no, Mom, I want to honor you. And unbeknownst to me that while I was doing that, there was people from Singapore and Malaysia and other parts of Asia that knew me that were on that same flight. And they watched the way I honored my mom, that it deeply moved them. And it ministered to them that helped change them because of watching how I interface with my mother. So I put my mother in first class and we fly to Japan. And that trip, I was able to lead some of her relatives to the Lord. Well, unbeknownst to me, when we flew back, it was a great time for her to see her family. One of her brothers, just a few days after we got back from Japan, passed away. So it was her last time to see him. And then that was in October of that year, 13 years ago. That March, coming, that following March, uh, she had, we'd moved her up to be near my sister in Austin, Texas, because I traveled so much, and my house had been broken into three or four times in a year because the neighborhood was changing, and, and I felt it was safer to have my mom with, near my sister, and uh, besides, I want to wear shoes in my house. So, but, <laughs> and so that March, I get a phone call. She had fallen down, and so I rushed up there and waited all night in the hospital room, and that next morning... I thought maybe she had a a heart attack or a stroke, and the next morning the doctor pulls me aside and says, your mother has cancer that has metastasized. She doesn't have more than three months. Of course, being the man of faith, I'm praying, believing, we're holding fast, but to our surprise, um, uh, she went to be with the Lord one month later. The day before she passed away, she kept asking for me. She was in my sister's home in my nephew's bed, staying at the house. And I uh, kept saying, is Dougie here yet? Is Dougie? So I was trying to get to Austin. I'm driving. By the time I get there, I walk into my nephew's room, and my sister said that all day, all she would do is just to wake up and just go, is Dougie here yet? And go back to sleep. And so as soon as she heard my voice, I walked in. She leaned up, and with tears coming out of her eyes, all she said was, Dougie, pray. That was the last cognitive thing I can remember my mom ever saying to me. But it was one of those moments where it wasn't like she was just looking at me as a son, although she was. It was like at that moment she was looking at her pastor too, saying, I know you know what's going on and you can engage heaven for me. And the next day she was with the Lord. When I get to heaven, the first thing that Jesus, that my mom's going to say to me when I enter the portals of heaven and the gates of splendor is going to say, Dougie, Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Mama was right. Moses speaks of this in Exodus chapter 3. Put off your shoes from your feet for the place for which you stand is holy ground. And then moreover he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And of course we see that God is a generational God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we saw that, you know, Lois and Eunice, and and we see that God is a generational God, that he intends us to pass our blessing from generation to generation. And when those generations have not been serving God, we become that generational stop that says from this day forward, regardless of the past, I make a decision to serve Jesus so that the generations that come through my spiritual womb shall become those who walk in honor and righteousness and faithfulness to the things of God. Yes. Yes. 
Billy Graham said, only God himself fully appreciates the influence of a Christian mother in the molding of the character in her children. You see, God is attracted to honor. God is attracted to when we live a life of holiness, a choice to say, God, not out some sort of external piety or religious spiritual pride or self-righteousness, but the kind of holiness that says, God, it's worthy of your name for me to submit myself and to live into consecration at the level you call me to, to be the man or the woman you've called me to be, because we know that attracts the presence of God, the favor of God, the blessings of God. But honor also, to honor God is to honor our parents, honor those who God places in our lives to help mold us and help us to become the men and women of God we're called to be. And honesty, to be honest with ourselves, to love truth more than we love things and love this world. We're in this world, but we're not of it. And then fourthly, to be those people who also walk in a spirit of humility. The Bible says in Proverbs that by humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. We always pursue riches and honor and life, but if we don't walk first in the fear of the Lord and the humility that comes in Christ, we'll never be able to sustain with those riches, honor, and life. Those will become fleeting, but in Christ, they are sustainable, and they're able to be a lasting legacy to our children and our children's children. I remember one time there was a person who really hated me harassed me because I did a lot of street ministry work with the gangs and at-risk youth and walking the streets at night. And this one guy hated me. He was a disc jockey on a secular radio station. And I want to talk about the power of grandmas and mothers' prayers. And I want to honor every grandmother and mother here today that have learned what it is to become a life giver. And if you're not a life giver here today, all it simply takes is say yes to Jesus. Surrender your life to him and let him become Lord of your life. People used to say, well, he's my Savior, but not my Lord. If he can't be your Lord, he can't be your Savior. He has to be the Lord of our lives. And when you surrender to him, we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to him. But just like with my stepdad, who never could surrender until that final moment, I said, Dad, you've always wanted respect. But how can I respect you when, you're, when you don't know what it means to be a real man? And to be a real man is to be Christ-like. I've always loved you. I want to honor you. I want to respect you. But it's hard when you keep making choices that are unbiblical, things that are immoral and unscriptural. It's hard for us as children to respect you. We want to respect you. We want to honor you. But when he surrendered to Christ, it was all of a sudden a transformation took place. And that can happen to each and every one of us today on this Mother's Day. What a greater legacy would it be for all of us to Reflect in our lives and say, Jesus, I give you the right to be the Lord of my life. That I would live in a life of holiness because to worship you in the beauty of holiness is the glory that is due your name. He's worthy of it. There's nothing greater than to, and more, more grandiose than to love God, to walk in the fullness of his purposes in our lives. So when this person was always harassing me, one day I was on a Christian television a Christian radio program for two hours, a talk show. He called in. I knew that he had AIDS, and I knew that it, his lifestyle, and, and that's why he probably hated me. 
because he saw we were out trying to minister to people that were transvestites and people bound in homosexuality, people bound in identity crisis, people bound looking for, for identity in gangs and at-risk behavior. We're seeing them get delivered and praying for them and doing what we could to reach and rescue lives. And he didn't like that. His perception had to be changed because perception is not always the truth, but it becomes the truth to the one who believes it or perceives it. Some people's perceptions of the church is based on institutional Christianity. What they need to see is the tangibility of an incarnational Christianity that changes their lives. And so he called me on this radio show. He was a disc jockey on a secular show, and he changed his name, and I knew it was his voice. And he kept harassing me and calling me names on the radio program. And if I finally called him out and says, is this so-and-so? And he, goes, uh, and he could tell I knew who it was. I go, he goes, yes. And I go, well, where are all your friends when you really need them? And he said, well, my community, we stick together. We cut for each other. I said, really, where were your friends last month when you couldn't pay your rent and your light bill? He goes, how did you know about that? I said, I, had, I figured, we found out that you couldn't pay your rent and your light bill. I never thought I would ever have to publicly tell you this because we really felt we were supposed to do this as an act of Christ's love out of obedience to God. So we, as my staff, we took up an offering between us. We paid your rent and your light bill anonymously. Wow. It shut the mouth of the line. He didn't know what to do. And a few weeks later, I was in Phoenix, Arizona at a Mission America meeting, and I get a phone call that, that uh, he was in the hospital. I called another young man who had gotten saved in a dream. God appeared to him, and, he became, and to get involved with our ministry, he, began, he got saved, became a part of our ministry, and uh, from a praying mama, by the way, who was also had HIV at the time, and in a dream, God revealed himself to him and said, when you wake, I want you to go to this church nearby. They're going to lead you and show you how to come to me. And it's from that point that he ended up engaging and being a part of our ministry, became like a spiritual son. I called him and said, Bill, I need you to go to the hospital to meet with so-and-so because I heard he's in the hospital. Would you go there and represent me because I can't get back in time? He goes to the hospital, and the person who had been harassing me who called me on the radio, and I told him we paid your rent and your light bill. He ended up saying to Bill, he says, Bill, why would these people do this? He goes, well, that's what we do as Christians. We obey when the Lord speaks, and we love even those who despitefully persecute us and hate us and revile us. We come with an opposite spirit. It so moved to be came to Christ that Friday night. The next day on Saturday, he passed away. I tell that story at a large church in another part of Texas. A woman comes to me and says, uh, with tears, she goes, let me ask you, because I never say his name in public. She goes, can I ask you, was his name such and such? I said, yes, did you know him? And she begins to weep. She goes, that was my son. I had been praying. I had been praying for my son that God would reveal himself to him. See the power of a grandmother and a praying mother? You, how many of you mothers today, how many mothers today would say, I am believing for an, an unsaved loved one? I am believing for one that I know knew the Lord but is not serving the Lord today. Whatever that, there's something about a mama's heart. And I'm going to believe with you, we're going to stand with you and believe that, that the desires of your heart will not be in disappointment, but with the spirit of gladness. Just like with Hannah, in her most humanly impossible circumstance, when she went to the tabernacle of Shiloh, 
And my wife and I literally were in the tabernacle of Shiloh. In fact, we were here a few years ago and just come back from that trip, a five-country trip. We were in Israel and found the tabernacle of Shiloh where they're doing archaeological digs. My wife and I got in the exact spot where Hannah would have been in the tabernacle crying out to God out of her human impossibility. And we declared at that moment, God, if you could do that for Hannah then, and you're the God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then God, you can do it for people today. And little did I realize how prophetic that was going to be in my own life out of human impossibility. No matter what your circumstance is today, when we surrender to the glorious salvation, so great an act of love in Christ Jesus, when we surrender and make that righteous choice, everything begins to change. People would say to me when I was going through the cancer, you're still doing ministry. You're still traveling. You're not stopping, and you've lost your hair. But, you know, one guy told me in Orlando, a pastor's gathering of 700 pastors, went to my wife and said, uh, when my hair began to grow back, he said, Lisa, I know that your hus- you're, you're glad that your husband's hair is back because it's a sign of healing. But I have to tell you, when he didn't have any hair, I didn't know he had cancer. He looked like a bad ninja dude. <laughs> He would know he's an ultimate fighting guy that does all that kind of stuff. I don't know how you can do that as a Christian, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. Go beating up on somebody, blooding him anyway. Although I feel like doing that sometimes. People take, give away my ordination card and say, let me just take that out for a second. Dude, come here. You know, anyway, that's the old guy sometimes. My wife has to remind me, sanctified, sanctified. Okay, okay, I'm committed to what I confess. But how can you pray for people? How can you do these things when you know that you have sickness in your own body? I said, because my circumstance does not dictate who God is. But God dictates who he is in my life. So even if I have cancer in my body... The big C that owns this temple, I'm going to keep on preaching his word, teaching his word, declaring his word, praying in his word, and watching miracles happen in people's lives, salvation, healing, liberation, deliverance, and freedom, because his word never changes regardless of my circumstance. No matter what you have been through, no matter what you're going through, just like Hannah You can make a decision that says, I may come into this situation with a broken heart and sadness, but I will take the word of the Lord that God has for me today, this Mother's Day, at Spring of Life, right here in Miami, that today I'm going to receive my word of the Lord to get right with God, to renew that place of the joy of salvation, to get to that place of holding His promise, so that when I leave today, my circumstance may not change immediately, but I don't have now a hope without a hope. I mean, I don't have a future without a hope. I have a new expectation. My expectation is the Lord, and God does not disappoint. God keeps his promises. So our circumstance may not change at this moment, but the promise and the choice we make in Christ and the promise we receive has determined where we go from here. What greater way to honor the foundations laid To honor that praying grandmother and praying mother. And if you're that grandmother or mother that was not what you thought you should have been, today God is a God of redemption. Today is that day that says, but today I choose to be that woman of prayer, to be that life giver that maybe I have not been. Because you have family that are watching you that need you to step into your destiny. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day of your destiny. Today is the day to receive your promise. 
regardless of where things are. You can't change your past, but the decisions you make today will determine your future. One of my prayers every morning is, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. To remind me of that moment when you invaded my world and you gave me a revelation of your love through the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And though I go through life circumstances, it's easy to get clouded in that, that journey at times. It seems like we're in the desert, but God reminds us never to forget that moment. That's how we keep our first love, the joy of your salvation. And then secondly, what I pray is, God, help me never to forget the great privilege it is to have been called by you. To let your light so shine in me that it draws others close to you, not to me. Today is that day. The greatest legacy we can leave is to make a decision today for the lordship of Christ, the holiness of Christ, the honor of Christ in us. So we can become the life givers and the strength givers for a generation to come into its destiny. I'm going to ask you just to look at me. Because I never allow people to bow their heads. I learned this from Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole. And I don't care if it's 30,000 in a crusade in a Muslim country or 10 kids on the streets. I just ask people to look at me eyeball to eyeball, face to face, and say, look, if there are things in your life you know that are not pleasing to the Lord, then before we can pray for God's breakthrough and miracles in our family and lives, we have to be honest with ourselves. If you're here today, maybe you're just visiting today, or maybe... Maybe you know it's Mother's Day. It's a special occasion you're here for that, to honor your mom or moms to honor their children. But I'm going to ask you this because there's five things that kept Israel out of their destiny or promised land for 40 years. Lust, idolatry, sexual immorality, tempting Christ and murmuring. Pretty much that covers it all. If there's things in your life you know that have not been pleasing to the Lord, then on the count of three, would you just be honest with me and stand with me so we can pray and then pray for God's divine intervention and miracles and breakthroughs and answering of your prayers. So on the count of three, if there's things in your life you know that are not pleasing to the Lord this morning, then let's honor the Lord by being honest with him. But what greater way is it to honor our parents and those who have given themselves to help us along the way? So on the count of three, three if there's things in your life, let's be honest with the Lord. And stand with me. One, two, three. Thank you for your honesty. Would you put your hand on your heart with me and pray with me? And say, Lord Jesus. Come on, do it like you mean it. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and the things that I have done that have broken your heart and brought shame to your name. Right now by faith, I give you the right to change my thinking, change my heart, change my life. Right now by faith, I ask you to help me to become what you want me to be, to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, how many here are believing for a miracle in your life right now? How many know that God has not forgotten you? How many are believing for an unsaved loved one right now? How many mamas here are saying, I am really praying for some people in my life, and I need God to intervene? Maybe there's some desires of your heart that have not been met. How many are going to believe God's word to you today that when you came in here out of desperation, you will leave here with a new expectation that God will meet?
because your expectation is in him and not in circumstance. Well, I'm going to pray this over you like Hannah, like Eli said to Hannah, and I want this to be a word for you. Whatever that need is, before I give it over to pastor, whatever your need is, you came in one way, but I pray you would leave with a new expectation in the Lord with a spirit of gladness and watch what God will do in the next few hours. We honor you, moms and grandmas. We need you to be the life givers. And men, we need you to rise up to be men of honor so you can honor your parents and honor your mom and honor. And remember, mom was right to find those ways to honor so that we can together become strength givers to help the life givers bring forth a generation of destiny. Eli said to Hannah, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you the petition of your heart this day. I'm going to say it in Jesus' name because today we know there's nothing more powerful than the name of Jesus, saving, healing, liberating, and delivering. So I say to you, thus saith the Lord, go in peace. And may the Lord Jesus Christ grant you the desires of your heart today. Pastor. The principles in God's word allow us to mark the, the boundaries of our steps that we take. And one of those principles in this house is if you gather with wise men, you become wiser. That's one of the principles that we've been reading for a long time and we believe in our hearts. And when a person like Doug comes in here to South Florida to spend time with us, uh, we consider these men and these families that... Um, that really live um, not just now, not in the present time, but have a trajectory of a lifelong of a pursuit of the things of God. Um, there's a wealth of incredible provision. Um, he'll be here today at this service. He'll be at the afternoon service, and then he's going to be here tomorrow night. And uh, we're just going to invite, you know, I know that there's some people that have to go to the school banquet, to the honor banquet, to the sports banquet. But the majority of us could come out tomorrow night. I've asked, I'm very unusual, a lot of times preachers want to come in on Sunday and leave Monday morning to go back to their families. But Doug and Lisa are going to stay, and we're going to give them a time of teaching tomorrow um, where they're going to be able to bring principles that are going to make our church stronger by spending time with them. Um, all sorts of, of, of leadership um, we just spent three days with him in North Carolina and with 30 leaders across the nation. And he was just pouring out into our lives um, a time of refreshing, a time of strengthening, a time of wisdom. And it was incredible. And we have an opportunity to honor him tomorrow night, 8 o'clock. Uh, but for those of you guys that, that have the other commitment, uh, please come. And yeah, yeah, we want everyone to come. Uh, husband, bring your wives. If you go to Clarita's house, um, you just is, is she canceled tomorrow or no? Is she available? Clarita tiene reunión mañana. Okay. Yeah, let's all meet with, let's give time to Doug and to Lisa to share and to, and, you know, we, we invite these people. Um, there's a whole dynamic of ministry that happens across the world where we, multitude, we, we minister the multitude to the people that never come. Uh, when you come in during the week, it's pretty much the core family of God that meets at Spring of Life. And we want to spend some time, some precious time with them tomorrow, 8 o'clock, Monday. And then they were going to be leaving on Tuesday. So um, 
this week at the men's ministry, we, we talked about this, not knowing what uh, Doug would bring, but we talked about the difference of a person that has a lot of words and says nothing. Um, and then those who have few words, and, 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 and God listens. Let's look at this verse real quick. 1 Samuel 1, 12. The Bible says that Hannah was there, and she was barely moving her lips, and no words were coming out. As it happened, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. And this is so powerful, because this is a type of relationship I want with God. I don't want the hype and the huge, ah, you know, um, she was there, and he was watching her mouth. This is how, how pointed and how specific God is. Verse 13 says, um, Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not even loud enough. So imagine just your lips moving, but there's no words coming out, and God is deciphering you, the rhythm of your heartbeat as a mom. He's not into... Uh, I believe it's Matthew 6, 7 says, he doesn't listen to the multitude of words. There's a lot of people that have the gift of gab, and they think that they will be heard for their many words. I don't want that type of religion. I speak a lot. It means nothing. I want the few, sometimes not even uttered words. I said, Lord, you know my heart, and you know what, what is my burden, and I want to be genuine in this presence. That's what Doug is talking about today. And then what a blessing to say, you know something? I bless you, and that which is in your heart is, it will be given to you. And that's what First uh, Samuel there, uh, following up the verse, the Eli um, in verse 14, First Samuel 1, 14, he says, uh, Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away your wine. He's challenging her. Verse 15, she says, I'm not drunk as you suppose. I have a, I'm, a, I'm a, a woman of sorrowful spirit. I'm not drunk with wine or intoxicating drink, but I've, I'm pouring out my soul to the Lord. And then verse 16, he says to her, do not consider me. She says, don't consider me wicked. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not upset like you suppose. Verse 17, Eli answered, and go in peace, and the God of Israel will give you the petition you've asked. So without many words, God doesn't want you to come here and play religion. God wants you to come into the house of God, to the family of God, to the word of God, and be genuine and transparent. And you, mama, have such a huge weight of responsibility. And, and maybe people don't, don't, the old saying that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. If you guys get into your calling, you guys will make uh, straight the paths for your children and your grandchildren and their relationships and, and the incredible words. We were talking about, uh, we were just up there in North Carolina, and they gave us a book written by uh, Wallace Hensley, uh, who writes a book with Winston Churchill, the prime minister of England. And he was a man who changed the world, and they couldn't figure out because his mom was in many different relationships. She was never at home. They put him in a boarding school, and they're like, how did this guy become such a principled, incredible leader. It was his nanny. His nanny prayed for him every day and made him uh, read uh, scripture memories. And she became a mother. A lot of you think don't have children. And you say, well, I don't have children, so this doesn't apply. Listen, the world leader, Church Winston Churchill, became the most incredible leader because a woman who was not his biological mom prayed him into the purpose of God. To save England. That's, that's not a small feat. So those of you that don't have children, 
press into the purpose of God, press into being a spiritual woman, be known in the city um, as a serious woman so that you can have spiritual sons. That's the case of our sister Maggie, Clarita, who's a spiritual mom. There's many women in our ministry, Keiko, um, who don't have physical children, but there are mothers in the Lord. So let's, let's give thanks to the Lord for what he's doing here. We start our second service at 12. We're going to give it a little bit of room here so we have time to leave and come. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for a divine appointment for bringing Doug and Lisa Stringer to this spiritual home to this family. We pray that the words that have been poured and spoken over this house would be life-giving, strengthening, revival words that will raise up a generation of strong women that know their calling in Christ, like Ruth, oh God. Women like Hannah, oh God, that were able to move in the purpose of God, being genuine, not being religious, but being living the reality of virtuous women upon the earth, Lord. And that you set the day today May 14th, as a day of new beginnings, at the day that breeds life and help us men uh, encourage our, our, the, the, the women in our life that are mothers, Father God, to continue to pour forth life over our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren for a legacy of world changers. This we pray in the sweet name of Jesus. And all the people say, amen, amen, and amen.